Um, so there is a, a group of people in this room this morning that um, I feel uh, just a little bit more connected to than I did a week ago. Um, they're uh, 49er fans. <clears throat> Uh, this is not, not a time to gloat of any, in any way. I, I, I feel your pain. I, 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 I feel your pain. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, the reality is, is both of our teams now uh, have this scar on their hearts um, of being known for losing a Super Bowl, grasping defeat from the jaws of victory. Yes, but um, because I feel connected, though, I, I just felt like, you know, I needed to, you know, just kind of lend or, or, or to, to give a hand of just friendship, uh, to, to just say, you know, I love you guys, and I, I feel your pain. I understand what you're going through. And so if you are a, a, a true 49er fan, I mean, like, I'm not talking to somebody who said, eh, there's no, else, no other teams left, so yeah, I'll, shoot, I'll root for uh, 49ers. But if you are a real 49er fan, like Sonny, then please stand. <laughs> and, uh, stand up and stay standing. If that's, uh, be, be proud of your team. Come on. I, I get up here, and I'm proud of my Seahawks, even though they got kicked out early. Yeah, yeah. All right. Stay standing now. I need a little help. Maybe my wife can help me with this. Uh, but I have a little gift for you. Yes, so uh, uh, you may want to put this on your wall when you get home. Just a little certificate that says, uh, I'll read it to you just so you don't, who, those who aren't getting one of these, you'll be sorry you didn't stand if you're a real fan. But it says, thank you for playing. With great appreciation to the San Francisco 49ers, who worked really hard to win second place. Your effort was an inspiration. And it signed a Seahawk fan who's been there before, run the ball. February 9th, 2020. So thank you, C uh, 49er fans, thank you. We are united in our uh, pain, for sure. Uh, the problem is, you know, I've had to do this for five years now. This pain just keeps recurring every year. It just won't go away. It's got to get back there so we can win one, so we can get rid of that pain. But no. Uh, but, so, okay, I, how many of you that just got that award are kind of like going, okay, Sean, yeah, that's not really a nice reward, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for playing, right? I mean... <laughs> But it's true, right? We are, we're in a culture now that is, you know, of participation trophies, right? You know, the, the, you know, it's okay. You know, you worked really hard. It's all, you, you're, you're winners. Good job. Don't worry about it, right? Uh, but it is everywhere, right? I mean, our sports are seeing this. I mean, with little kids now, you know, and many uh, podcasts have been done on this, right? You know, the idea that, you know, they don't keep score at soccer games anymore with little kids, right? You know, it's like, what's up with that? You know, all the dads are keeping score. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, oh, no, everybody, we don't want anybody to lose, feel bad about losing. Everybody's a winner. It's okay. It's great. And that continues to... I mean, look at, you know, even academics, right? I mean, they're getting rid of grades, right? We don't, oh, you're going to have a, I can't have an F on your page or, you know, whatever. Oh, you failed. No, no failure. We want everybody to feel good. It's okay. You tried hard, right? Think about math, right? I mean, math is where you really see it, right? It used to be, when I grew up, you know, you either got it right 
oh, you got it wrong, man. And it was a big red mark on it if it was wrong, right? Nowadays, like, you know, you, you, got, you got close. I mean, your process was pretty good. I mean, yeah, it's a good, good work, good try. You tried really hard there. You got the wrong answer, but that's right. We're going to give you partial credit. It's okay, right? I mean, this is our culture that we're in, our art. Here's another one, art, right? You know, I mean, what is art? I mean, we used to understand it was something that was pleasing to the eye, right? Now it's like, Oh my gosh, it's, you know, I mean, they have, they have jet engines that they get going, right? And then they throw paint up into the, you know, wash of the jet engine and it hits, you know, a canvas. Like, oh, wow, that is amazing. I mean, what do you think the jet engine was thinking when it put this color here, right? Like, give me a break. What is this, right? But everybody's a winner, right? So, uh, you know, thanks for playing. Thanks for playing. It was great. So good. Uh, but this is, of course, it's infiltrated into the church as well. Right? I mean, we're seeing this in our churches and Christians and, and, and pastors who are teaching this kind of mindset that, you know, we're, we're all winners, right? I mean, you know, just, it, we're all good people at heart. I mean, really, I mean, it, it's all right that, you know, we're, you know, you, you, know, you got some mistakes there. You, you've had a rough life. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, what do we expect from you to actually live righteously? I mean, I'll, no, 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 come on. It's Jesus loves you. It's all right. Just hang out. You know, it'd be okay, you know. So we have, you know, this kind of everybody wins mentality, you know. Love wins, right? You know, a particular author wrote this book, and it's basically this universalistic perspective that everybody's going to make it to heaven. So it's just about trying to live a good life, you know. And, and what we have is actually churches that are, instead of working on sanctification, they're working on self-actualization, Right? It's just a, you know, a bunch of sermons about self-help. You know, how, how do I become the better me? Right? How do I just live into this who God has made me to be? Right? And these are all good spiritual conversations that we have. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, wait a second. Is that really what God is all about? Right? But this is being pushed in our churches. Self-help sermons that, that are making sure that they, they're not offensive in, in any way. We, we don't want to use the word sin. Oh, oh boy, we don't want anybody to go away feeling bad or guilty in any way. That'd be just horrible. I mean, we don't want them to know that they're sinners. <laughs> I mean, they're all, they're going to be okay, right? Uh, and, you know, I don't like to throw out names, but I will this morning because this guy is just, he's, he's on that side and I just got to say it. And, and maybe some of you like him, but his name is Joel Olstein. okay? Now, he's got tons of books. He's got a huge church, but he is, he is, he's got a nice smile, but he is not, he's not, he's teaching this kind of gospel. That, you know, it's just about, you know, it's about self-actualization. It's about feeling love and goodness. And, you know, God loves you. And he's just got a ton of blessings for you, you know. And it's just about you learning how to be you. And, and then God will bless you if you just learn all this. And, and it's just crazy. But we have this in our church. And so, obviously, uh, many of you right now are in your mind going, oh, man, that is not the truth. Because we have this Bible that tells us some things that are maybe a little bit different than that. Matter of fact, I think even last week in my message, last week, or not last week, but a few weeks ago, where I talked about and preached about the extent of grace. I, I think there's probably some of you that were in there going, wait a second, Sean, you're saying that we don't have to do anything after we become saved, that, that we, we just, we're in, it doesn't matter how we live our life after that because we're in, and you're going, wait a second, what about James? James chapter 2, verse 29, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead, you would say. This is true, this is what the Bible teaches it's saying, look, at no, it's not just about living, you know, this dream of, oh, God loves me, right? And I don't have to do anything. Now, there's no expectation. 
But go beyond that into 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as well, verse 20, where it reads this. Oh, I start in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So we throw out these passages saying, look at, no, 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 we, it's not about just, you know, hanging out with God's grace. And, and what we're talking about, the people on this side of the fence, are, they're, they're presuming on God's grace. As if there's nothing for them to do. There's no expectation, there's no, no, uh, no thing to, to live for. That They can just sit back and just kind of, oh, you know, this is great. Thanks, God, for all these amazing blessings that you've given me. I'm going to go out and spend them as much as I can. As if that's the only reason that God exists in order to just make your life happy, make your life better, to make you, ha- you know, comfortable, right? I mean, so many people come to Christ. This is how we sell sometimes our faith. Oh, you know what? If you just come to Christ, your life is going to get all better. Uh, you're going to stop drinking, you're going to stop doing drugs, all of your family members are going to get you know, reconciled, you're going to be able to reconcile with your mom who you've always you know, had a problem with, everything is going to work out. It reminds me of that movie, uh, Facing the Giants. Now it's a great Christian movie, don't get me wrong, and maybe you love it, I do too. What I hated about the movie was the end. Everything worked out. Everything. Every single thing that was any kind of conflict or tension, it all worked out in the end perfectly. And I'm like going, that is not what the gospel says, right? It's not. It's not going to all work out in the end. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us if we step into life with him, we should expect that our life is probably going to get more difficult. It's going to be a challenge. We're going to be attacked. We're going to be persecuted. Jesus did not come so that we could have a comfortable life. Moving into Romans chapter 5. Excuse me, chapter 6. Verses 15 and following. Again, this is to those who may presume on God's grace and think that it's just about, you know, just accept Jesus and then you're in. You don't have to do anything after that. uh, Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Yeah, I mean, just because we're not under law anymore, right? Jesus took care of that, right? We've got this amazing grace that we've been accepted into. So, you know, since how we're accepted by grace, he, he, why don't we just sin, right? It doesn't matter. And what does Paul say? By no means, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation, probably several more, right? By no means do you not know that you, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching in which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So there is a life to live. Grace is an amazing thing, but it doesn't give us license to presume on that grace. I remember a student of mine one time came to me as a youth pastor, comes to me and says, uh, <laughs> so, so I won't get to what the sin is, but come to me with like a sin decision that they have. I mean, it's like an obvious, blatant, easy, to, I mean, it's, this is a sin, there's no problem, right? And they come to me and they actually ask me, hey, Sean, what do you think I should do? 
I mean, they didn't say this, but, you know, should I sin or should I not? You know, it's like that kind of thing, right? And I was like thinking to myself, you realize I'm a pastor, right? I mean, you could ask your friends that question. They say, oh, yeah, you know, I just, whatever you feel like you, know, you should do. I mean, that's what you should do, right? That's what a friend would say. But I'm not a friend. I'm a pastor. So I open up the Bible, and I'm like, you know, hello, right here. Here it is. That's what it says. Not hard. And then they say to me, but, I mean, if I do it, like, he'll forgive me, right? Oh. This is some of our perceptions of God's grace that we can just trample all over it like it doesn't matter. <laughs> but what does he call us to? What does his grace call us to? It calls us to worship. It's not just to actions. It's not to activities. It's not just to righteous works. It's to worship. This is what grace calls us to. And I think worship has kind of two aspects to it, two, two kind of expressions, if you will. The first is uh, worship uh, comes from, uh, comes out of, or comes out like praise and thanksgiving, right? It's like you, you, when you recognize God's grace, you know, you kind of go, wow, this is pretty awesome. We just had an amazing worship time, right? And I think part of the reason it was so amazing was not just because Laura's amazing. She is, isn't she? Uh, but it was because of communion. Right? I think our hearts were in that right place. We recognized the grace of God, and then we worshiped an expression of thanks and praise to God for what he's done for us. Right? I think that's part of that. So, so it's, like, you know, it's like a gift, right? You know, when I was a kid, right? You know, Christmas or my birthday, right? I, I, gifts are always fun, right? Pretty excited about all that, right? And, and so I, I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, the gifts are there and there's a card on top, right? And I'm all excited to open the gifts, right? And so I reach for the side of the box and start to rip the, the, the wrapping off the box. And what does my mom say? Open the card. I'm like, oh, why do I to open the card? I want to see what's in the box, right? But why do our moms tell us, and why does my wife continue to tell me, <laughs> open the card? Right? Be, because someone gave us that gift. It just didn't just show up out of nowhere. Right? It, 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 and it's not just been given to me just because I'm great. Even though, okay, no. Uh, <laughs> it was given from someone unconditionally given from someone. And our, as parents, we want to teach our kids to learn this important piece of thanksgiving, that when we're given something, we need to thank the person who's given us. And this is the life of a Christian. It's when we first come into contact with this amazing gift of salvation from God, that Jesus died on the cross for us, that the first thing we do is we open up the card and we go, oh my gosh, this is amazing what God has done for me. And we praise and we worship him. But worship has a second aspect to it. And, and, and I think it's, it's more of the action or the activity part of it. Excuse me. Because worship also includes sacrifice. That we... You know, when we're given a gift, there's something inside of us that wants to give back or to pass it on. 
right? When we get that kid as a kid, as a kid, you know, when you get that gift as a kid, you, you, you don't think that way usually because you're a kid and you were born into sin, right? So we don't get that. But the more time we grow up and as we mature, we begin to recognize more and more that when someone gives us a gift, it's an opportunity to pass it on. It's like Starbucks, right? I like Starbucks. You guys like Starbucks? Anybody? Starbucks is a great place, right? I just, I, I enjoy Starbucks, and I, and I know you guys know that. But anyway, so I, when you go to Starbucks, this happens sometimes. You're in the drive through line at Starbucks, and it oftentimes is long because lots of people like Starbucks. And, but you're in that line, and you're like, it's okay because this is Starbucks. It's going to be good, right? It can be great. But then you get up to the front after this long line, and you're sitting there, and you get to the window, and the person opens up the window and says, hey, it's your lucky day car in front of you paid for your coffee. And you're like, sweet, all right, oh, it's a winner, yay, and you just drive off. Or you pass it on. And this happens, you know, at Starbucks every once in a while, people start pieing, and so I, okay, well, yeah, I'll pay for the guys behind me, right? How much is this, by the way? <laughs> right? But, but yeah, it's the same idea, like that we want to pass it on, right? It's like soups and sweets last night as well, right? I mean, all these amazing desserts that are spent, I mean, we're spending big money on these desserts. And how many of us ate all of that dessert, right? I mean, very few. We just, we get, got open it up. They've got plates on the tables and forks, and we're sharing these amazing desserts because we realize that, you know, when you get a Karen Bonhoff pie, you know, you just don't keep that to yourself. As amazing as it is, you just want to share it around, right? And, and so, actually, Penny, this morning, she gave me part of her pie that she won last night. <laughs> huh? Oh, Terry did? It wasn't? Oh, it's his pie. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I gave credit to the wrong person. Terry, thank you. You're an amazing guy. So anyway, so but we want to do that. This is part of worship. This is our worship inspiration that when we recognize what God has done for us, the amazing gifts that he's given us, the blessings that have come from him, we want to pass them on. We want to share them with other people. This is what we're called into as Christians. Now this morning, I, again, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I think maybe some of you struggled with my previous passage, message because I was saying it's all about grace and that there's no expectation that we live into that. But I think if you struggle with that, I think maybe this is a point for you to review whether or not you are a legalist. Because if we, cannot come in t- if we cannot come to understand the amazing grace of God, then our life is going to be lived as in, in legalistic ways. Because we're going to be trying to earn it. Because we're going to always feel like we haven't got it. But the reality is the grace of God brings us freedom. Even worship is free. If worship is demanded, it's no longer worship. It's only worship when it's freely given. God has called us to freedom. He's he's allowed us to have this amazing freedom. And it's true freedom. It's it's not just like, you know, we think that it's, you know, life for life. You know, Jesus laid down his life for me, and so now I have to sacrifice my whole life for him as if that would be a good deal for God, right? As if that would somehow like, oh yeah, now he's, he's appeased. He's happy. Because that's the only reason Jesus died for us, so that we would give our whole life to him. As if he needs anything from us. 
Do we get that? This freedom allows us to worship freely knowing that it's not required, but we give it freely because we want to. And even that want is not something we conjure up within ourselves, but something that's a gift from Jesus. Because of this process of when you get a gift, you go, oh man, I want to thank that person who gave me that gift. When we get that gift, we want, man, this is abundant. This is more than I can eat. I need to pass this off to somebody else. We're free. We're not slaves. Jesus is not just a slave master. Now, now again, I, I read Romans chapter 6, and, and it says that, right? Remember verse 18, and having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. It says that, and, and this is what happens is legalists will look at this and they'll go, okay, we're going to grab that passage out. And now this is, what li- this is what the Christian life is all about. We are now slaves to righteousness. We have to make sure that we do the right things. We've got to make our list of all those right things that we have to do. We have to make sure we check off that list. And if we make any mistakes, if we fail at any spot, then we're guilty and we're like, oh, God, don't hurt me, right? Because we have to fill this list. We are slaves now to righteousness. If we disobey our master, we should expect to be punished for that, right? This is the perspective that the legalist grabs onto, but unfortunately, they don't read two more chapters into Romans and find out the other side of this because Paul hits both the legalist and the presumptuous. He hits them both and says both are wrong. Here in Romans 8, let's read on. Oh, what verses? 14, I think. Yes. All right, 14. For all we, excuse me, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. For you did not, two chapters, this is chapter eight, two chapters earlier, it says we are slaves to righteousness. And then he comes back as if to qualify that statement two chapters later. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is grace and worship that we need. It's the freedom that comes from grace that then motivates and inspires our worship. Our worship, if we come to God just to worship him and without perspective of grace, then we are not worshiping him. We're worshiping him legalistically and we are not going to find Jesus. But when we go to Jesus first, recognize what he has done, how he has paid for our sin, how he's died for us, how he's saved us, how he's dumped righteousness into us. When we recognize that, then worship comes out of that then that is true worship in spirit and truth, as John chapter 4 says. God wants to bring us freedom. The life of a Christian is a life of freedom. When, when will we become less and less self-aware. You see, our culture is pushing this self-awareness thing. That that's what life is all about, becoming more and more aware of who you are and 
what you are and how you are and, and, and being able to live into that and paying attention to your cravings and to the feelings that you have and all this kind of stuff. It's all about this, you know, oh, I got to get to know, once I get to know myself, then I'm going to be released into this amazing nirvana experience. No! Peace only comes when we become less, self, less self-aware and more Jesus-aware. That is the calling of salvation. That's the calling of Christ. And the amazing thing is, is as we begin to walk into a life of freedom, where we become less self-aware, it's not that we don't make mistakes and that we don't recognize those mistakes and that we don't apologize for those mistakes when needed, but it's that those mistakes don't stumble us, don't trip us up, don't cause us to get off our, our, our eyes off Jesus. We recognize we're sinful. Yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to make mistakes. We're not in eternity yet. And so our mistakes draw our eyes to Jesus. But our successes do the same. When we're walking in a life of freedom, even our successes we don't take pride in. We, we don't get all excited. Look what I did. Oh, man, I'm so awesome. No, we recognize that even our successes are because of Jesus and his amazing grace. I shared a few weeks ago about, you know, reading the Bible. And for me, how that was such a struggle. I know for many people it is. Trying to get into that habit of everyday reading Scripture. Now, some of us, it's easy. I mean, we just, it's no problem. But for me, and I know for many others, years and years, decades of struggle, trying to make that a, a consistent habit every day. Failing all the time. And then one day, I gave it up. I just stopped. And I turned my eyes to Jesus and said, I can't do it. And he's like, yeah. And then after that, all of a sudden, it became easy. This is the life of, life of freedom. We don't do it to get his attention. We don't worship in order to get him to pay attention to us. We don't worship in order to get all the goodies and the blessings. We have all the goodies. We have all the blessings. And so we worship. Matthew Chapter 11 is where I'll go next. Um, our, our vision statement says that we are fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus. So what do we mean by enjoying? And, and, and it's what I've been talking about. I, I, enjoyment is about a recognition of the grace of God. The grace that has been just dumped on us. Not because we earned it, right? Grace is, it's unearned. And then worshiping out of that. Enjoyment is, that, that's what enjoyment is. That's how we enjoy Jesus, is by getting our attention to Jesus. Instead of getting our attention to the activities or the dis- disciplines or the pious act, you know, acts that we need to do or the religion that we want to try to, none of that, that's secondary. It's always secondary. Primary always starts with Jesus. Consider uh, this, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This passage has both of these in it. 
the freedom and the worship. And let me explain. First of all, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus is talking to Pharisees and Jews. And the Pharisees have been heaping on the Jews for hundreds of years all of these lists of things that they had to do, that if they made even a little mistake here, even beyond what the, the law actually said, they'd added a whole bunch of other hundreds of laws. And so if they just even did a little bit off, all of a sudden, oh, they're in trouble now and they're going to be you know, kicked out of the church or whatever. And so Jesus is talking to Pharisees. He's talking to Jews who are having, have this perspective. And he says, come to me. Because I'm going to give you rest from all of that chaos, that legalistic mindset of how to live this Christian life. I have rest for you. Come so you can experience this rest because it's not about what we do. We will never be able to appease God. We can't. It's Jesus. He appeases God. So it's only in him. And so he says, come because I have rest for you. But then he goes on. He says, take my yoke. Upon you. Now, we know that yoke has this garden image or uh, farming kind of imagery to it, right? Oxen are, are, are yoked, right? A wood yoke that goes between usually two oxen who then pull together and carry the burden. And so Jesus says, Come and take my yoke upon you, right? But it's more than that. It's not just a farming image, it also has a teaching image. See, the rabbis of the time, they each had their own yoke, which was a list of teachings of how they, how they were supposed to live their life or the things that they were to believe. And so Jesus is not just thinking about a farming illustration. He's thinking about a teaching illustration as well. And this is the other side. We have this amazing rest. But in that rest, we also have a yoke. But the yoke is not us pulling by ourselves. Again, we have Jesus who is yoked with us. He's the one who's bearing the burden, yet we still have a role to play in that. That he, that he would draw us into worship. Praise and thanksgiving and a life of sacrifice. See, Jesus isn't going to drag us along in that yoke. He's not going to go ahead of us. He's beside us. We're yoked together. We're, you know, we can't just lay down and he'll drag us to where we need to be. We have a role to play in that. We have to move forward. He's going to set the direction. We follow him in that. But that comes out of the rest that we're in. One last passage to look at a little bit before Matthew 11 and Matthew chapter 7. Verse 13 and following. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is an image, I think, of the Christian life that we have a very narrow road to walk. It's just the way it is, I think, with God. It's a, very, it's a very thin line. And so because it's that way, I think it's easy for us to fall off on the side of legalism. 
So we've, we've made it through this narrow gate, the small gate, and then there's this narrow road, and then we take a step off and begin to live a legalistic life, thinking that somehow we're going to help God to bless us more. As if somehow we are able to earn our keep somehow in the family. As if somehow that there's an expectation that God needs us. So we strive and strive and strive to achieve when all the time it's just a matter of staying on that path. And the other side is just as easy to fall into, and that's the side of grace and you know, just you know, presumption, thinking, oh, yeah, well, it doesn't matter what I do. That I can just live my life willy-nilly. It doesn't matter. You know, it's okay. I can say, God will forgive me. It'll be all right. No big deal. No. We need to stay on that small path. And and here's the reality. This is the Christian life. See, see we, we all want to go. It's easy on the sides. It's really easy to be a legalist. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a lot of achievement that has to happen. But it's pretty easy to know, okay, I got to do this. I got to do that. And, you know, you make your list of, you know, the things that you've got to do. Pretty simple to be there, right? I mean, it's, and it makes, it makes you feel good, right? You know, you know when you've checked off the list and you know when you're not. You know, okay, well, I've done the list. So that means God loves me. So I'm good, right? Oh, I didn't, I didn't get all the lists today, so, oh, eh. you know, so we know where we're at. We kind of feel like we have this control. Great, you know, on the presumption side, same thing. It's pretty easy over there, right? I mean, it's, oh, you know what? It's all about Jesus and him, and I don't have to do anything. It's all good, right? I just sit back. He just wants to bless me. He just wants me to have all these goodies, and I just got to, you know, if I just get out of my way and let him bless me, I'll be good, right? And so th- these are easy ways to go. This is the reality. But Scripture keeps telling us about this middle road. And we've got to learn how to keep these two things in both hands with the tension that comes with that. Recognizing that we have to understand grace. We have to experience grace. We need grace. We need to know that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn God's appraise or his attention. Nothing. It's all about Jesus. And so we need to understand that. But also when we understand that, recognizing that we also are going to be called to worship. That we are going to live our lives for him. Not because we have to. Not because he demands it from us. But because of his amazing grace. This is the least we can do. We're like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing what you've done for me. I'm going to say thank you and praise you. But I'm also going to live my life in order to share that with everyone. Because you have over abundantly given me grace. I can't, I don't even know what to do with it all. Those who don't understand how much grace they've already received are those who are not worshiping. They're hoarding it for themselves and they're, they, they don't have, it's impossible for them to worship. We have to understand grace. We have to grab onto it. We have to accept it. We need to see it. We need Jesus to reveal it to us. And when he does, then worship comes out of that. But even when it comes out of it, again, we have no room to take the credit. This is why we can't create a hierarchy in the church of who's the really good Christians and who's the not-so-good Christians. Because once we understand grace, we're all equal, completely. The 
those who are fully enjoying their relationship with Jesus are those who understand and know the grace of God. And that understanding inspires them to worship.